Delicious meets nutritious in the snack that packs a real protein punch, wonderful pistachios. Each one-ounce serving of wonderful pistachios has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value and making wonderful pistachios one of the highest protein nuts. But perhaps more than that, I love all of the flavors they have. Their sea salt and vinegar ones are my favorite when I'm craving that flavor but want to keep it healthy. But that's just the tip of the iceberg. Wonderful pistachios come in a variety of flavors, like chili roasted, honey roasted, smoky barbecue, and jalapeno lime, perfect for enjoying with family and friends or taking them with you on the go. Whether you're a pistachio purist who loves cracking open every nut or you prefer the convenience of no-shells pistachios, Wonderful Pistachios has got you covered. Grab Wonderful Pistachios and elevate your snacking game today. So fill up with a healthy snack when hunger strikes. Visit wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more. That's wonderfulpistachios.com. This is Optimal Health Daily, episode 1961. What if my body image and food issues aren't that bad? By Stephanie Michelle with jessenealand.com. And I'm Dr. Neil. Hey there, welcome back to Optimal Health Daily or welcome for the first time if you're new here. This is the podcast where I act as your very own personal narrator and read to you from some of the most popular health and fitness blogs online and always with a bit of my commentary at the end. And with that, let's get right to it and start optimizing your life. What if my body image and food issues aren't that bad? By Stephanie Michelle with jessenealand.com. The other day, I received a coaching application from a woman named Melissa. Her name has been changed for the purpose of this article. At the bottom of the form, she had typed in the following, quote, I have filled out this application before and not sent it. I don't want to take up a spot if there's someone else who needs it more. My issues aren't that bad. I'm not sure if I need coaching, so I'd like to get your opinion. Thank you. End quote. The rest of the application had cited things like dieting from an early age, but never to the level of an eating disorder. Weight cycling and insecurity about her body were among the symptoms she described, but she did not feel all consumed with thoughts of food or body image and was still able to work and socialize. Her application reflected more of a fatigue with food rules that she sometimes followed and sometimes didn't, mild food guilt, and low-level body distress that prevented her from feeling fully comfortable in her skin. Melissa is not unlike other people I have heard from who don't fit into a more definitive category of people with eating disorders, disordered eating, which we'll discuss, body dysmorphia, or clearly defined body image issues. For those who feel on the outskirts of this conversation, what resources are available and how can their experiences be addressed? One of the most important considerations is the issue of being sick enough. There is a landscape of experience before eating disorder, or body dysmorphic disorder, that benefits from intervention and can be equally distressing on mental health. Diagnoses are not required to warrant support. Even among those with eating disorders, there seems to be a not-sick-enough trend that speaks to the not-enoughness generally found in perfectionists, black-and-white thinkers, people-pleasers, and trauma survivors. The second consideration is how much a mild disturbance in our food and body relationship may actually reflect a culture that normalizes such disturbances. It's not uncommon for someone who restricts their food to feel perfectly normal for doing so, as if it's an expectation and obligation, rather than a type of disorder. 
For example, ordering a salad with dressing on the side when we really want a burger and fries is touted as admirable and being good, when in fact, it may be a method of eating the least amount of calories possible or performing for an audience. Likewise, body image disturbances like feeling too fat to go out, taking 50 selfies before posting the one that doesn't reveal a double chin, or spending half of a paycheck on fillers and Botox is so typical that it's not private, it's an understood way of being a person in the world. Might it be the case that what appears to be mild distress about food and body image is actually a socially sanctioned version of disorder? In any case, disorder exists on a spectrum rather than being a black and white issue of you have a problem or you don't. Some people may live on a more mild end of distress and stay there. Others will go on to develop more significant levels of distress over time or move in and out of periods of greater and lesser distress and still others will move into full-fledged diagnosable disorders. It's unclear what makes one person move into a disorder while another does not, but it seems to relate to factors like trauma, genetics, stigma, self-esteem, and social conditions. I have never found much value in defining the disorder to perceive its level of severity. There were times in my life when I would not have qualified for an official diagnosis, but my mental and physical health were at their worst. I encourage clients to consider how much mental space is taken up by thoughts of food and body image and to what degree this interrupts their life satisfaction. This barometer usually offers more insight into the question of, do I need help or not? If food and body image issues are impacting the quality of your life and you want it to change, you deserve help, period. No diagnosis necessary. Even if others suffer more than you, and even if you don't identify with all of the conditions laid out in the DSM-5 or on popular Instagram posts. But let's say that you're still hearing this and thinking, but it still only mildly bothers me. It doesn't play a huge role in my life, even if it takes up a little more space than I want it to. I'm generally happy. This is just an area that feels like it could use work. If this is the case, a part of me wants to say, awesome, congratulations. It's pretty great to feel the pressures of society and stay generally afloat. Of course, I'm biased because I definitely wasn't one of those people. I've gone out to dinner with friends who know what I do and say to me, I love what you're putting out there and a lot of it resonates with me. I can't quite take the leap into full body neutrality or not judging my food, but I'm listening. And that's valid. For some people, the work involved in deconstructing decades of belief systems and habits might not be worth the life disruption. It's possible to feel comfortable enough with the way things are and to deal with the occasional food guilt and body image insecurities as minor disruptions instead of diving any deeper into it. I know plenty of people who watch from a distance, take what they need, and leave the rest. Remember that it's your subjective level of distress, and the distress just might not be significant enough to go further than digesting Instagram posts and reading weekly newsletters or listening to a podcast. No judgment. Ultimately, you are the one in charge. Notice what messages resonate most. Get curious about why. Let it marinate. See what comes up. But above all, know that support does not have to be earned. Our culture can be brutal. It's okay to offer yourself a larger landscape of opinions about food, weight, and worth, even if it shifts your experience just a little. You just listened to the post titled, 
What If My Body Image and Food Issues Aren't That Bad? by Stephanie Michelle with jessenealand.com. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it filters out incompatible applicants. So when you're hiring, the process is much faster and you only have to consider applicants that are already likely to be a great fit. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash health. Just go to indeed.com slash health right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash health. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Dr. Neil here for my commentary. It's been said that an easy way to know whether later stages of dementia have set in is if you find yourself worried that you may be experiencing signs of dementia, that means you don't have it. Basically, if you're worrying about it, you probably aren't in the later stages of it. This is because those in the later stages of dementia don't know that they don't know. Meaning, forgetting their phone number, the same phone number they've had for years, doesn't seem out of the ordinary. Or not remembering how to turn on the stove doesn't feel odd. It just feels like a, huh, must have slipped my mind somehow moment. But again, if it feels so disturbing to you that you can't remember these things, then likely you're not in the later stages of dementia. Now, what does this have to do with today's article? Well, when someone is wondering whether they need help with their food choices, their feelings about food, their body image, weight management, and so on, it may just mean that they do. Just by merely asking themselves the question, do I need help, may be a signal that help is in fact needed. Sometimes just admitting this fact is the hardest part. All right, that's it for today. I hope you have a great rest of your Tuesday. Thank you so much for listening and I'll be back here tomorrow as usual. So I'll see you there where your optimal life awaits.